Hey, Outcomes Rocket listeners. No podcast? No problem. Launch a professional podcast you'll love in four weeks. Most people hire production companies to edit and distribute content that sounds bad and does nothing for their revenue or their network. But you could turn the key to a made-to-order podcast and skip all the pitfalls that make 90% of shows discontinue after five episodes. We've got the expertise, the elbow grease, and you're back on this one. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. Saul Marquez here. Today, I have the privilege of hosting Diego Ray. He is a co-founder and chief scientific officer at Endpoint Health a company on a mission to bring life-saving targeted therapies to critically ill patients. Diego previously co-founded GeneWeave, acquired by Roche, a company that develops diagnostics for guiding antimicrobial therapy. He also serves as an expert part-time partner at Y Combinator. Today, we're gonna dive into the work that they're doing at Endpoint Health and how it's making a difference in healthcare today in one of the most challenging times in our current environment. So Diego, such a privilege to have you here and uh, certainly looking forward to our, our conversation today. Thank you. We're really happy to be here. Yeah. So, so Diego, before we dive into Endpoint, I mean, you have a very interesting background and history in healthcare. So I'd love to park there for a second and find out more about that and also what inspires your work in healthcare. Sure. Yeah. So um, I actually started off studying electrical engineering as an undergrad at uh, UC Santa Barbara. And at the time, you know, what kind of led me from there to healthcare, the bit of an, an odd story, I guess, uh, or an odd thought process, which is um, in electrical engineering, I felt that I was maybe several steps removed from an end user. That's what was going through my head. I felt that uh, I would be working on a subcomponent of a subcomponent of a system that may or may not directly interface or impact an end user. And I had this desire to get closer to being able to directly impact an end user and something that I would, I would build or, or contribute to. Um, at the time, I was also really interested in the life sciences because of the, the interdisciplinary nature of the problems and solutions in this space coming from an engineering point of view. So if I took this kind of desire to directly impact an end user to an extreme, I thought that one way of doing so was to study medicine and to become an MD, because then uh, there's nothing really in between you and an end user, uh, your patient. And so um, at the same time, again, though, I, I realized that I was too much of an engineer and I really just wanted to build things. So uh, um, in the end, uh, what I thought was, was a bit of a compromise was, uh, was where I landed, which was uh, to study biomedical engineering, where, which I did at Cornell University for my, for my PhD. So that's what kind of led me down this path at the very beginning, coming from engineering. But more specifically, you know, what really inspires and motivates me in my work in healthcare is the ability to develop products that are enabled by by new technologies uh, then to directly improve the lives of of patients. Wow, that's cool, man. And, um, you know, really interesting that that you took that route. You know, I, I mean, I just look at the world today, Diego, and it is literally like shaped by STEM. You know, I mean, whether it be if you're a provider or an engineer, I mean, it's being shaped by it, period. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the route you took, hey, it's great. You know, and by the way, my wife's a biomedical engineer too. So, man, oh, you right guys awesome. are smart. 
<laughs> I always say she's a smart one in the family. So <laughs> Diego, you know, and you got your PhD in it. Obviously you're committed to this and you had some success with uh, Gene Weave and, and, and your exit to Roche. Talk to us about what you're doing today with Endpoint Health. How are you guys adding value to the healthcare ecosystem? Yeah, definitely. So we started Endpoint in um, 2018, and uh, we were really on a mission to improve the outcomes of critically ill patients specifically. And uh, one of the areas of focus for us is sepsis, which is one of the biggest problems in critical care. And sepsis, what it is, it's a life-threatening immune response to an infection. And today, you actually hear about it, coincidentally, a lot more on the news than ever before, because what turns out that folks who die uh, with COVID-19 do so typically due to sepsis in most Mm -hmm. cases. But even prior to the pandemic, it already had a a huge burden in in healthcare with an estimated cost of about $60 in the U.S., and it's uh, linked actually globally to more deaths than cancer each year. Uh, And again, this is even before... COVID-19, right? Yeah. Hmm. Um, And so, and despite this, there's actually no FDA-approved therapies for sepsis, if you can imagine. Um, The only only, uh, therapies that are currently in routine practice today for sepsis are supportive care, things like ventilation and fluids. And so, this really makes sepsis one of the largest unmet clinical needs that's out there. And so, the the lack of available therapies, though, it's not because of uh, a lack of trying, uh, there's been hundreds of past clinical trials in sepsis. Uh, unfortunately, though, all, all these trials in, in the past have been uh, neutral or negative, and they just failed to demonstrate an improvement in outcomes in these patients. And so our underlying hypothesis at Endpoint is for, in, for, for why you know, this, nothing's worked in the past and for how to move forward from here is that sepsis is not a single disease. It's actually um, a syndrome. It's not something that can be treated in a straightforward manner. It's a, it's a description of symptoms and that is very heterogeneous in nature. And so, you know, meaning that any given episode of sepsis can be different from another. And so what we're aiming to do at Endpoint Health is to develop the means of defining and then also identifying each of the underlying biologically defined conditions that make up critical syndromes like sepsis and that are each individually treatable. So, for example, if you take a, a uh, sepsis patients, they can exhibit immunosuppression or hyperinflammation or have coagulation disorders. And uh, as you can imagine, each of these underlying conditions require very specific and different treatments. And not all sepsis patients may exhibit all of these conditions uh, when they're exhibiting sepsis. So the tools that we develop at the end of the day, they're, they're companion diagnostics. Okay. They're, they're tools that we use in clinical trials and then later in clinical practice to identify patients exhibiting these specific conditions and then to target the appropriate therapies to those patients. And so in doing so, we hope to accomplish what will really be some of the first positive trials in critical syndromes like sepsis. And the endpoints in these trials are mortality, for which we hope to dramatically improve and dramatically drop if if successful. So if successful, what this would mean is that uh, we'd have a tremendous positive impact, not only in improving patient outcomes, but also in lowering hospital costs and lowering costs of the overall healthcare system. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, you know, it's it's shifting the paradigm on things like sepsis, right? It's not that that's the disease. It's a, it's a syndrome. And you guys are breaking it apart, giving us a, a better understanding of each component that leads to it. 
So as you as you focus the work to to tackle some of these underlying components, what would you say you're doing differently or better than what's currently available? Yeah. Um, so although we're we're doing something that's new as a company, clinicians have really uh, and researchers have really known for a long time that sepsis is a heterogeneous syndrome that requires stratification in order to have a shot at successful therapeutic development. And the problem is that the ability to capture the data necessary to analyze it and to analyze it in order to do this sort of stratification, and not just in, in a research setting, but in real time, in order to be able to translate it, this research into clinical practice, it was just not possible until fairly recently. So to do so, we've developed two platforms uh, at Endpoint. One is a software system that captures digital data from the electronic health record and runs machine-learned models using this data uh, on the cloud. And what these models do is identify biologically defined subgroups of, in the first use, in acute respiratory distress syndrome patients, uh, another, another condition that, that is uh, very common in COVID-19. And uh, these subgroups are predictive of therapeutic response. Uh, so we're now working to deploy the system as a software as a medical device post-marketing uh, authorization by the FDA. Uh, and we've also, the, the second platform we've developed is a uh, in vitro diagnostic blood test that measures expression levels of specific mRNA molecules from uh, critically ill patients from a blood sample. And we use this to identify subtypes of sepsis patients and uh, based on their immune response. And so uh, these subtypes likewise are also predictive of differential therapeutic response. So at the end of the day, we have a software tool and an in vitro diagnostic tool, each which can be used as these companion diagnostics. And finally, our business model is actually to then in-license or co-develop clinical stage therapies and then use these tools to enable the appropriate trials that target the therapies in these trials. And the reason for this, this model is that we've actually identified many previously already developed therapies many of which actually were previously attempted in sepsis that we think have a high likelihood of success in sepsis, but when actually targeted to the right patients. So uh, back to your question, this is in contrast, I think, to many companies that discover new therapies, which is also critically important. But instead of doing that, uh, we're um, usually what, what companies like uh, that discover new therapies do is they, um, they partner or sell the pharma to then develop the therapies. In our case, we're, we're developing the therapies ourselves in later stage clinical trials. And the other thing that's unique about this is that few companies are built from the ground up with integrated software, in vitro diagnostics, and therapeutics all under one roof and really built to work together from the get-go. So on top of all this, the, with this integrated solution, what we then have the ability to do is capture data also from existing care and link it back to outcomes. And so this enables us to not only develop new therapies, but also to optimize existing care. So kind of bringing it all together, uh, rather than precision medicine, we call this precision care. And it's, we consider it actually a new category of medicine where we're not developing a therapy and then applying it to multiple indications, which I would consider more of a traditional precision medicine approach when, when those therapies are targeted. But instead, we're focused on optimizing all of the care for a given indication. And the reason we started Endpoint Health is because we felt that to really improve outcomes in critical care in this space, that this is a sort of approach that was really needed. And companies uh, like the one we're building just really just did not yet exist. And that is really interesting, Diego. And 
very different. On the one hand, you're a software as a medical device. And on the other hand, you know, you're offering in vitro diagnostics, but on the sort of back end of it all, you're enabling bringing therapies to market that are effective. So uh, it's a pretty complex business with a lot of promise. And, and, uh, and, and I'm thinking about just, you know, some of the, some of the opportunities that exist and the various uh, stakeholders that could get involved. You know, who are you guys looking to partner with and, you know, who, who's going to be using your technology? And I, and I asked that just to engage the listeners today on potentially how they could work with you guys. Yeah, definitely. So we're, we're very much partner oriented and, and, and driven by that um, uh, because, like you said, we're covering a lot of ground. So one of our key partners, uh, of course, is the uh, clinical research community. And what's been really interesting and something that we didn't experience in the past and in other and uh, GeneWeave and, and even at Roche is the, the amount of engagement and interest and really excitement around what we're doing uh, because it's such a huge need. Right. Just there hasn't been much activity in this space. So um, we're, the amount of enthusiasm and buy-in that we've been getting from the clinical research community has been has been really uh, exciting. And so we partner with with clinical researchers uh, because that's where we conduct our, our trials, of course. And in some cases, we're translating research that was uh, developed by collaborators into the clinic. In other cases, we develop our own solutions. And at the end of the day, though, the folks who will use our products are the clinicians, right? So the, the workflow is essentially patients uh, would be admitted into the emergency department or ICU, then get a blood sample drawn, data might be pulled from the electronic health record. And in the background, we're running our algorithms based on the blood test results or on the EHR uh, variables that, that we um, collect. And depending on how patients are progressing, in the worst cases, sep uh, sepsis patients progressing to shock and refractory shock, for example, which is where they, they don't respond to vasopressors, then our results are then used prior to making treatment decisions. And ultimately, hopefully, um, when um, a new therapy becomes available, if we're successful in our clinical trials for novel therapies, that um, the test will enable treating specific patients using our test for the particular therapy. Uh, the, other, the other partner, of course, is a uh, major partner is um, pharma companies uh, and biotechs. Mm -hmm. uh, so I mentioned that we're, we're not developing our own new molecules from scratch. Uh, we're looking to in-license or co-develop uh, therapies that biotech and, bio and pharma uh, companies have previously uh, developed in our manufacturing. Yeah. And, you know, and you mentioned that there's not a solution to sepsis, for example, you know, one thing that we're dealing with here or discussing, there's not a solution, not because of lack of trying, but it just, things haven't worked. So is there a bunch of stuff on the shelf that didn't work that you guys are looking to say, Hey, you know, we have a new way to get there. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. So um, in some cases, it's not necessarily on the shelf. There are therapies that are being used in different indications. In other cases, they truly are on the shelf. Uh, oh, so okay. it's, it's kind of uh, anywhere in between. But yeah, b both of those uh, scenarios are currently exist. Yep. Got it. Fantastic. Thanks for clarifying that. So, you know, the question about improving outcomes and making business better, you know, that's something that we're focused here on the podcast, Diego. How are you guys doing that today? And, and obviously you guys are two years into this. So maybe you have some examples or if not, then maybe how you plan on making a big difference here. Yeah, as you mentioned, we're two years in, uh, approaching two years in. And so we're really just getting started. Uh, so the, in the, the, our products are, are not yet commercialized. They're not yet uh, FDA authorized and on, on the market. 
So we have yet to demonstrate uh, improved outcomes by the use of our products in the clinic. But in the meantime, you know, it was really motivating our work that we have demonstrated the potential for improving outcomes in both sepsis and acute respiratory distress syndrome. And we've done so initially through observational studies and retrospective analyses of past randomized control trials. And the results of this work, you know, of course, need to be further validated in our, in our own prospective randomized control trials. But uh, the, um, uh, and, and that's the subject of our next phase of our company. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, if we're able to replicate the sorts of results that we've seen so far in these past analyses, we believe that the commercialization of our products will uh, result ultimately in tens of thousands of lives saved each year in the U.S. alone. And that's, again, because there's very few treatment options for these patients. And so some of our therapies and uh, more broadly interventions will be uh, the first in, in these patient populations that are commercially available. Yeah, because right now, I mean, you get sepsis, you're probably going to die, you know, and it just it just happens too often that what you guys are doing today is kind of laying the the groundwork for for how we're going to improve this area. Right. Yeah, ex- exactly. It's, um, you know, we, we feel that not only are novel therapies needed, but even with existing care, which is, you know, as I mentioned before, ventilator settings, fluid management, steroids, for example, you hear a lot about COVID-19 these days, is one of the few things with a positive signal. All, all those things could be managed better, uh, I think, and in, uh, in, 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 uh, even, even if it's not a novel therapy, have the potential for dramatically improving outcomes if, if uh, targeted, uh, optimized, but ultimately by targeting it to specific patients who would, would, would um, respond. And in some cases, avoiding therapies in, uh, in cases where patients may have an adverse response. That's also just as crucial and, and something we, we also aim to do uh, as a company. Yeah. And Diego, I love your idea of precision care, right? We, we talk a lot about precision medicine, getting one thing right and then applying it broadly. But you're talking about precision care here. So let's, let's, if you're okay with it, let's dive, let's dive into that. Cause I, I really like this idea. Sure. Yeah, definitely. I think maybe that last example I gave is, is a good um, kind of case point for this, which is uh, we've seen in fact, uh, in, in some cases where a dramatic improvement in outcomes can be achieved by avoiding a particular therapy in a specific set of patients. Mm-hmm. So that's really kind of the opposite of a traditional pharma business model where we're not, we're not selling any therapeutic, right? This is a, just a companion diagnostic uh, that flags which patients should not receive a particular dose of a, of a specific therapy. By looking at this from the concept of precision care, though, you know, this makes just as much sense as enabling a new therapy that would improve an outcome. And the reason is that at the end of the day, it's not about selling the therapy or even selling the diagnostic. It's about improving outcomes. And so we've set up our company in a way to, you know, really thrive if and when the world transitions into what would ultimately be more of a outcomes-based way of uh, practicing medicine from a business uh, uh, side of things. So when basically when you get paid when, as a company, when outcomes are improved. And so in that sort of a scenario, we, again, care just as much about avoiding a therapeutic intervention as we do enabling a new therapeutic intervention because we're, we're linking everything back to just improving outcomes. I love it. That's so awesome, man. And, and as you think about the two years, I mean, I'm sure it's been winding roads and, and just the challenging to get it to where you guys are today. If you had to point to one particular setback or experience that you believe has made you guys better, what is that? And what was the key learning that came out of it? 
Yeah, so an, an example of a, a specific big setback was actually back at GeneWeave, my previous company. And first, a little background on what uh, GeneWeave did. Uh, so at GeneWeave, we created a new technology that enabled the detection and identification of live bacteria and the ability to determine the response of the organism to an, an antimicrobial agent. And doing this all in a matter of hours, directly from a patient's specimen. So this was actually a big deal at the time uh, because the prior to our, our approach, the only, only way to really do this in a clinical setting was using traditional clinical microbiological tools and techniques that required growing the organism to isolate it. And typically that took an overnight step and then testing it for its response to an antibiotic, its susceptibility to an antibiotic, which required growing the organism again. So instead, we were able to do all of this uh, with our technology directly from a specimen without growing the organism in a matter of hours. Uh, our first product was a diagnostic for detecting methicillin-resistant Staph aureus, or MRSA. And after years of work, we realized that our original approach, which included the detection of specific genes, in this case, the MECA gene in MRSA, it was just not working well enough to enable the diagnostic performance that we really needed for our product. And this was despite the fact that this initial approach formed the basis of our entire company and the core of our intellectual property. Wow. So um, at the same time, though, along the way, we developed a proof of principle for the ability to detect MRSA, not by detecting the MECA gene, but instead by directly measuring the response of Staph aureus to the antibiotic. And so we had a potential solution, but as you can imagine, we needed to, in effect, recreate the entire company moving forward including convincing our board of directors that this was the way forward. Uh, so really, really challenging time, of course. And in the end, the lesson was that was one that we thought we actually already knew, which was one of customer development, which we almost had right. You know, we, we didn't actually pivot in the product we were making. We pivoted instead in how we got there. And so what we initially failed to see was that what the market really needed was not something that was just suitable for an MRSA test, but was more broadly the ability to do susceptibility in a better way. And this ultimately, this opened the door for a much larger opportunity. So our customers you know, dealing with infection control in hospitals really did need a better MRSA test, but it turned out that the entire industry of clinical microbiology needed a better susceptibility testing. So we thought bigger, maybe from the very beginning, we may have started with what ended up being the right approach without actually running into an, in a bit of an existential crisis <laughs> along the way. <laughs> Man, what a great story. And uh, awesome that you guys were able to just zoom out, you know, and, and through the work that you'd done, see how you could focus on susceptibility rather than just an MRSA test. I mean, that that's just just big, man. And, and so what would you say was the key component that helped you guys see that? You know, oftentimes we could get so myopic as business leaders and lose that. What got you guys that win, do you think? Yeah, the, so one was, of course, looking for ways forward given the, the limitations we were seeing in the initial approach. But I think what really kind of led us down the right path was between starting the company and the work that we'd done prior to really any lab work on the customer development side, which led us down the path of an MRSA test, that between starting the company and getting to this point, we'd had the opportunity to do a lot more of this uh, sort of customer development where we, you know, and, and a lot of credit goes to um, one of my co-founders and our current CEO at Endpoint Health, Jason Springs. He's a product guy. And so he spent a lot of time in hospitals talking with clinicians, you know, and really understanding their pain points 
And so we, by then we just had a much more refined view of, of this world, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And so I think in, in simple terms, it was just, it was better just customer development from, from the get-go. I love it. Great story. And so as you think about what you guys are working on today at Endpoint Health, what would you say you're most excited about, Diego? Uh, yeah. So, so I think thinking back actually at Dreamweave, one of the, the biggest accomplishments for me, I think, was the team of extremely talented people that we were able to recruit into the company. Mm-hmm. And the culture and the work environment that we we created within the company, and so I'm I'm really excited about the opportunity to do that again, and maybe do it even better. You know, now that we have uh, some lessons learned under our belt, and in particular, uh, we co-founded uh, Endpoint with the same co-founders from Dreamweave. So as you can imagine, we have you know years uh, where we built really deep level of trust between us, and um, and one thing that was critical for our success at Dreamweave was bringing together complementary skill sets that covered really a lot of ground. And uh, you know, from what we heard about Endpoint, that's obviously very important in our current company. And, um, and we have that between us founders, but more importantly, what we were able to do at Genewee when we're doing again at Endpoint Health is recruiting this into the company well beyond our own core skill sets. So uh, at the end of the day, I'm yeah, just really excited about building another company with a big mission. I love it, man. I think about like, 60 seconds. Have you seen that Nicolas Cage movie? Or I should have it. The- oh, you haven't? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, Nicolas Cage, you know, you either love him or you hate him, but 60 seconds, they like, it's totally different, but they, they have a band of, it's a team and they all have their specialties and they execute on, on what they're doing. Specifically, 60 seconds is about stealing awesome cars which obviously sells in Hollywood, <laughs> but it's that band of brethren and sisters that were able to make it happen. You guys are doing it again. And it's really exciting, right? I could hear the excitement in your voice, the talent that you guys had at Gene Weave and now at Endpoint Health is just, it's super exciting to know that groups of people like you and your team, Diego, are working on, on some of the toughest problems in healthcare for us. Uh, so, so kudos to you guys for taking on the, the next big step in helping improve outcomes in, in our country and the world. Uh, before we conclude, Diego, just give us a closing thought and the best place that the listeners could get in touch with you and, and the team at Endpoint Health. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what we're currently all experiencing with COVID-19 has been a tremendous challenge for, for everyone, obviously. And um, at, the, at the same time, the amount of activity that we're now seeing in critical care in particular is unlike anything we've ever seen before. And so I'm actually really optimistic about how this will ultimately benefit patients. And it's really been a long time coming in, in critical care. So perhaps a, a bit of a silver, silver lining in the current pandemic. Agreed. And then if you had to point anybody in the right direction, it's Endpoint Health, correct? Yeah. yeah. So folks can visit us at our website, which is endpoint.health. We also have our company's LinkedIn page and Twitter account. And if folks want to reach me, uh, you can reach me at uh, my LinkedIn page, which you can actually find by going to diegoray.com. It's my name, uh, .com. Or on Twitter at uh, Diego A. Ray. Love it, Diego. And folks, we'll have all of these relevant links in the, in the show notes, outcomesrocket.health. You can find them there. And if you go to endpoint.health, right at the top, there is a message from the CEO of Endpoint Health. And uh, Diego thought that'd be a good place for you guys to start. There's big, big, bold letters there, read more. So a lot of ways to interact, fantastic work being done to improve patient care, 
some very interesting topics, precision care being one of them is something that we'll be diving more into and, and thinking about thanks to Diego and his insights today. So Diego, big thanks for, for you and, and the work that you and your team are doing. Thank you very much. It was a real pleasure to speak with you today. And thanks again for having me. Hey, Outcomes Rocket listeners, Saul Marquez here. I get what a phenomenal asset a podcast could be for your business and also how frustrating it is to navigate editing and production, monetization, and achieving the ROI you're looking for. Technical busy work shouldn't stop you from getting your genius into the world, though. You should be able to build your brand easily with a professional podcast that gets attention. A patched up podcast could ruin your business. Let us do the technical busy work behind the scenes while you share your genius on the mic and take the industry stage. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more.